Greetings, and welcome to the Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. I'm Phyllis Hollis, your host. As an extension of my Instagram page, Cerebral Women, this podcast offers insights into the visual art world. I interview artists, mainly artists of color and female artists, who will freely articulate what inspires their creativity. In addition, you'll hear interesting perspectives from dedicated art professionals who work with artists and the art institutions that feature them. I'm confident that collectively, these individuals will indeed stimulate your mind as they do our eyes. Please know these interviews are conducted in my Manhattan apartment, so please forgive the background sounds of city life. Welcome to the Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. In this episode of the Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast, I feature Harlem-based visual artist Wardell Milan. His practice encompasses drawing, painting, photography, and performance, and he studied photography at the University of Tennessee and Yale University. Wardell has been included in numerous solo and group exhibitions, including MoMA PS1, the Art Institute of Chicago, the Student Museum in Harlem, Crystal Bridges, the Andy Warhol Museum, Candom Arts Center in London, just to name a few. And his work is included in the collections of several prestigious institutions, including the MoMA, Whitney Museum, Art Institute of Chicago, the Hammer Museum, the Stu Museum of Harlem, Brooklyn Museum, to name a few. Wardell has received several awards, grants, and residencies, which include the Joan Mitchell Painters and Sculptors Grant, Skowhegan, and Student Museum of Harlem. He has also been featured in several publications, which include the Brooklyn Rail, Hyperallergic, Art Forum, the New York Times, etc., etc. Wardell's first major museum solo exhibition currently at the Bronx Museum of the Arts in New York, is titled America, God Bless You If It's Good to You. It's curated by Holly Block social justice curator Jasmine Wahi. The exhibition is a series of flat works and performance collaborations of 12 new and recent drawings and mixed media collages. The survey is part of a year-long series celebrating the Bronx Museum's 50th anniversary and legacy as an institution dedicated to social justice and is currently on view through October 24, 2021. Please visit his website, wardellmilan.com, to see his expanded and impressive CV. Thank you very much and enjoy this episode featuring Wardell Milan. Wardell, thank you so much for joining me on my Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast today. My pleasure. Let's start out by you sharing with us when you realized your artistic passion. Oh, um, that came really early. My parents, I guess, were the first to recognize my interest in, in, in being creative and in being a, uh, in being a maker. And with that recognition, they enrolled me in art classes. And I guess I was maybe eight or nine, whatever the age is when you're in third and fourth grade. So they enrolled me in, in after school art classes uh, when, I was in, when I was in those grades and at that age and really nourished my interest in being, I, I don't want to say an artist because that's, I feel like that's too strong of a label for an eight-year-old, but in, in, in being 
uh, and being a, a create a creator. Um, so so they saw my that interest and saw that 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 talent at that young age and was very much nourishers and, and wanted to help in the maturing of, of that of that talent and of that interest. So I mean I've always I've always known that I wanted to or, or enjoy being a maker of objects and of images. But I guess it wasn't until perhaps high school when I understood like my sophomore, junior, excuse me, junior, senior year of high school, when I understood that I wanted to be an artist in, with, with a capital A and to pursue that as, as not only as a profession, but as a, as a, as a lifelong uh, dedication. How did you start out? Were you, is it comic books? Do you remember if you started drawing or was figures, was abstract, was it bodybuilding? Yeah. You hit, you're hitting on all of it, yes. <laughs> I started, started off with drawing. And I would draw models from the uh, JCPenney catalogs. I, I mean, I don't know if JCPenney even sends out catalogs, but it was JCPenney and Sears catalogs. Uh, and I would draw the clothes and the figures from those catalogs. And, and, and then I would start drawing um, muscle builders from, from uh, like muscle magazine magazines. So it, the, 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 I was always drawing figures that were, that were in some sort of publication or uh, some sort of retail purchasing periodical or, or catalog. I, I, I remember I was, I was drawing like women and men in underwear. And I, I remember hiding those drawings and, and, and hiding them in, a, in my desk drawer. My father, like looking through the desk drawer to find, I don't know what he was looking for, but he, he found the drawings. He just kind of looked at them. And I was feeling really embarrassed, but he didn't say anything. He just closed the drawer and kept on about his business. I guess part of that was because we were Southern and, and we suppress our feelings and our thoughts. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, uh, but, but yeah, the, my early reference images and, and early models came from, uh, came from those magazines, those Sears and JCPenney uh, catalogs. Was there a particular artist that you remember really inspired your work early on? Um, yeah, I would say that, that visual artist Francis Bacon was an early influencer and someone that someone whose work I would repeatedly return to, but it was most often inspired by film. So like the films of Fellini, I was really inspired by the film Seven by David Finchner. I think I can't remember the, the director's last name. But the movie Seven that starred Brad Pitt and, and Morgan Freeman, really the, the title sequence of that movie, I, I found really influential. So yeah, so film cinemas were, were definitely great influencers and inspired me and influenced, the, influenced my work at, a, at, a, at, a, at an early age, during high school and those, those early years of undergrad. And there are many aspects of your practice. What are the roots in that? I think it comes from those early art lessons um, that I was taking after school. And, and then eventually my, my mother enrolled me into Saturday morning art classes. And in those lessons, you know, we would go from painting these small little paintings on panel using acrylic. And then you know, we would use really crappy clay to make uh, sculptures and then making mobile, mobiles like kinetic sculptures and making collages. So in those in those classes, there was a really um, dynamic lesson, so that we we weren't focusing on one material or one medium, but uh, it was really kind of a holistic 
experience where the instructors encouraged us to learn how to use our hands and a number of different uh, mediums. So I think that, that's part of it. And also just, just my, how, how quickly I, I can become bored of myself in my, own, uh, in my own practice and wanting to figure out or learn how to speak about a topic uh, or a theme that of interest or perhaps that I've been dealing with for, for a while, but how to express certain ideas in a, in a different medium or in a different way. Let's talk about your current show at the Bronx Museum. Just share with us all the details about it. Yeah, so the, the show is titled America, God Bless You If It's Good to You. And it's that the title was taken from a Kendrick Lamar lair. And I started making some of the work that is shown in the, in the exhibition during my time in Copenhagen in, in 2019. I spent the summer there working with uh, Boych Editions, which is a printing studio in Copenhagen. And Niels Boych has worked with everyone from Julie Moretu to Baz Lewis. So um, being able to work with him in, in that studio was an amazing, an amazing experience. And I started making work that belongs to a print portfolio titled Balcony. And in these, in these etchings and the, and, and the narratives and the images in these prints, really deals with what I was experiencing, uh, reading and witnessing here in the streets of New York, but also just looking at the State of the Union and wanting to, wanting to speak about and comment on what the State of the Union looked like, how I was witnessing it. Up until then, I was, had been really making work that dealt with my interior. So making you know, paintings and drawings that served as almost cathartic expressions or, or movements or served as like <laughs> my therapists and counselors. So making work that, that was really fleshing out and exposing my interior self. So I, had, I was really, had become exhausted with, with examining me and looking at me and making work that, that was a reflection of that and wanting to, to, to work more in the vein of, of um, Joan Didion and being a kind of a, a journalist and a documentarian of, of contemporary society, as well as also weaving in my own personal narratives within these much larger kind of journalistic editorials. And so in, in this show at the Bronx, it really stems from those first eight etchings that I made in, in Copenhagen and uh, grew into a body of work that really begins to speak on, again, the state of the union and how America, how I've been witnessing it over the last two and a half years. So, you know, there's works that deal with white supremacy and the, and the alt-right and these ultra-conservative ideas, work that deals with the suppression and, and the, the violence that black and brown bodies consistently experience from either the police or some sort of power structure. Also work that, that comments on uh, sexuality and, and how sexuality and gender, at least in my idea, my opinion, doesn't exist between Two, two, two poles, you know, but there's between straight and gay, there's all this grayness, there's all these, there's all this, this beautiful blurring of lines that exist between the two poles. And then within that, commenting on the violence that Black trans women consistently experience in, in their daily lives. So, and, and then with all those narratives, I slip in little autobiographical uh, pieces of myself 
uh, in these in these much larger, complicated narratives. So I, I really approach on the walls of the Bronx Museum currently, and then the work uh, that I'm making at present, really adopting or, or trying to adopt the, the working practice of Joan Didion and Hilton Owls and some of the essays written by by James Baldwin, and wanting to be wanting the work and myself to to function as as witnesses and as a docu- as documentarians of um, of the current of the current state of the world and specifically of this nation. Let's talk about the part of the narrative that addresses your personal self. Are there reflections of memories of your childhood? Absolutely. I always tell people uh, that I had like the, the best childhood uh, that, that one could have being a young black uh, boy, gay boy, growing up in a conservative state and in a conservative conservative town. I couldn't have had better parents and more supportive parents. And so I like to not only make comment of, of the, the region that I grew up in, but also of, of my parents and of my family in, in, in the work. So the, the references are oftentimes, especially now, is really subtle. So the reference actually made us be in the title and, and, and not visually represented in the work. But, but I definitely try to, it, it's with some of the pieces, try to uh, point back to, to my childhood or to Tennessee uh, in, a, in, a both, in a way that is, is honoring both of those things, but also in a way that, that, is, that at times can be critical to the history of, of the South and specifically the history to, uh, of Tennessee and of the, the city and the surrounding areas that, that I grew up. When do the titles of your paintings enter the creative process? Uh, you know, sometimes it begins at the very, the very beginning of, of the work, before I even have an image. So it used to, I used to have the title before I had the, the work. And a lot of times the titles would come from, from after reading an essay or, or reading some sort, of, some, sort of, some sort of literary text. So I'd have, you know, have the title and then I'm like, okay, I want to make work that, that is inspired by this text. And then other times, the, the, I, I, you know, I make the image and as I'm looking on the walls now uh, in, in the studio and, you know, making, making a work that, that deals with isolation or deals with the idea of the separation of, uh, and, and the rejection of physical touch. And so I don't have a title for the piece, but hopefully once, once the work has, has reached a point where it has its own life, its own agency, then, then the title will, will present itself. And then, like I said, other times the title comes from right, right now I'm reading the work of, of R.G. Lloyd and have underlined, I don't know how many sentences and phrases that she has written. And, 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 and so I'm definitely inspired by, by that text and, and those words. And, and I know that some of those passages that I've underlined will serve as, as the title of, of the piece and also serve as how the image will ultimately begin and then, and then mature because of those words. And how do you feel as you approach a blank canvas? What comes over you? Um, <laughs> it depends. Sometimes, you know, sometimes an artist has to make work because there's an art fair. When I'm approaching it, not because it's out of obligation. I'm, I'm really excited. And I like the, the challenge that the blank canvas, piece of paper, unused reference image that I've torn out of a, of a, out of a book like what they, what, what they can offer. Always excited by, by that, that exploration and, and figuring out the life of, of the image or the piece that I'm making. How do you keep learning? 
I try to make a lot of mistakes. I always, I always try to get to a point when whatever I'm making, and oftentimes it comes like halfway through the completion of the piece, or at least I have a strong idea as to where the work is going. And if, and if I have too much clarity, I'm like, okay, I, I trust the clarity, but I feel like, I feel like there needs to be another level of discovery. So sometimes I'll do something to the piece to put myself into a corner or to, or to have to, to make myself have to work out of a mistake, quote, quote unquote mistake. And, and oftentimes that's when something of a learning experience or the unknown or the discovery can happen. And that's always super exciting. So I, I, give, I, 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 I like to give myself that, that exercise oftentimes with the work. Other times it's, it's, it's just through, through, through reading and listening and reading the words, listening to and reading the words of, of the authors that, that I find most inspiring and, and watching films that, that I think are either cinematically gorgeous or that are, are cerebrally challenging. And I think through those exercises are forms of entertainment or forms of learning, aids in, in, in constantly discovering not only new things about the creative process, but uh, new things about uh, me as a creative, and then also how I want to, to take what I've absorbed and, and apply that to, to the studio practice. What passion do you find creating work? What passion do I find creating work? Or what aspect of your practice would you say is most fulfilling? Well, one, I, I'm, I'm in the studio almost every day. And even if I don't put my hand on, on anything, I, I'll still be here <laughs> occupying the space. So it's, it is definitely being in a studio and being creative is it's important to my, to my daily being. I get most, most excited and most turned on when whatever it is I'm working on begins to tell me what it wants or what it needs to either be moved forward or to be completed. I very much like it when I'm drawing, working on a figure or working on a collage and it's like, Wardell, we need more blue. Or like, bruh, you got to take this out. Or, you know, I need three eyes instead of this, this two. And so I, 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 I get super excited when, when I'm told what to do by, by the work. And it's not me trying to push an idea or push a form along to, to become something. But after that, after that process, after I've done the pushing and the form has become and has is beginning to have a voice and, and directing me on, on how, to, how to complete it. Do you feel your audience, do they appreciate or do they understand your work? I don't know. I hope they appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> I hope they appreciate it. I think, that, I think that with some of the work, it's easy to understand. Other, other some, some bodies of work, maybe not so much. My, my gallerist, my New York gallerist, David Nolan, who's also a very good friend of mine, he told me years ago that a collector who has seen some of my works, some of my more, I guess, difficult work to, to, to view and, and, and live with, <laughs> he said that the collector looked at them and they said, Wardell must be the most difficult person to deal with. I mean, all the anger. Uh, <laughs> and, and he's like, no, actually, he's, he's pretty chill and, and pleasant. So... Uh, I, I, I hope that, that, that one, there's appreciation when people see the work and whether or not they, they completely understand what, what the work is about or what I'm trying to say 
it's not really so much my concern. I, I always say I like to part of my goals and, and, <laughs> and part of my likes when, when making the work and when thinking about the viewer is to leave them completely confused. How would you define black art? You know, I, I, I don't know. Honestly, I don't know. I don't know how to define black art. So I think that, I think that for, for, for some, it's easy to say what black art is. And I think when they can easily apply a definition or can easily, can easily voice a summary, that they're not really looking at the totality of, of Blackness or the totality of the community. One could say Black art looks like, you know, the work of, of Kehinde or of Jordan Castell, and absolutely. And then, then they could say Black art looks like, you know, the work of Wardell. And I, and I think that I, you know, I love the work of Jordan and, and Kahende, but they exist on a, on a, on a I would say, on a, on a different, if we look at thinking, looking at a spectrum, they're, they're on a different side of that spectrum than, than I am. And perhaps we're, we are speaking about uh, different issues. And I think that that's, that is one, beautiful, but, but also can make it difficult, or not difficult, but it can also make it challenge, challenging to say what is what is black art? I guess I would just say black art is, is you know, any, any, any work that, that a person of color who identifies as, as black is making. I agree. Because figurative work, you can assume someone's black, right? Mm-hmm. 90% of the time. But then you have abstraction. How would you know? Right. Think about the work of Demetrius Oliver and particularly the work that he's making now is completely abstraction. Or the work of Leslie Hewitt. I mean, some of Leslie Hewitt's work is all about form. So unless you know that Leslie is a Black female, you're not going to know a, a, a Black female is making that work. What would you say is the purpose of art? Oh, I would say to challenge the, the, the viewer, to challenge communities and, and thought, to be generators of thought and of change, to, <laughs> to offer a space for, you know, young People who live in the South and live in small to midtown, southern cities like Knoxville, Tennessee, a place to understand who they are and to, and to make work and to, and to be creative in a way that allows them to explain their interior selves or to comment on the world that, that they are moving through. I think art is so many things. It can be so many things and can offer and, and be the, the generators, the, the generator and the initiator of so many great and beautiful uh, things and outcomes. It's been a great interview. I've been loving every minute of it. So this is our last question. And um, what do you feel is your role as an artist? Hmm. I always tell, tell students when I was teaching uh, grad school, teaching grad school students and MFA programs. I always tell them what my undergrad professor Baldwin Lee told me when I told him that I wanted to be an artist and pursue it as, pursue it as a career. He, he told me, he called, he called me Dell. He's like, Dell, the world already has so many great masterpieces and so many great artists out there in the world. So if you're going to be an artist and you're going to be an artist and this is going to be your profession, you need to make sure you have something to say. So I, I think about that always, like, you know, if I feel like I, the work that I make and me as, a, as an artist, it should be saying something and it should be saying something important. And whether it is 
speaking at an audible that is deafening or whether it's a, a subtle commentary on on the state of the world i feel as if the work that i make always has to have or needs to have some sort of real voice and opinion and i appreciate that about artists who feel and think like that thank you thank you yeah i'm still learning how to understand abstract work Figurative work I can look at and sort of, you know, draw conclusions. But the abstract work is, um, it's still challenging for me. Me too. General. Oh, you too? <laughs> Listen, I went to, like, I went to grad school and undergrad and took all these art classes. And, you know, but yeah, looking at some abstract art is still hard to understand and uh, what, what it is the artist is saying. Sometimes it's hard to understand what it is you're looking at. But in those moments, there are can be really exciting because it's up to you. It's up to, to you, you, Phyllis Lee Wardell, but also you, the viewer, to make your own conclusion or your own understanding as to what it is you're viewing when the figure is absent and all you have is a, is a ball of tape that has a stamp on top of it and it says, you're welcome. It's like, well, what does this mean? So I think that, that using your, your eyes and your, and your intellect to, to read and to understand and to to conclude or not conclude, have conclusion as to what it is you're viewing. Uh, I think that's one of the, 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 the great exercises and, and great gifts that uh, art and particularly conceptual abstract art can provide. I agree. It's more intellectually challenging. Absolutely. Yeah. The message is not clear. Right. <laughs> right, right. This has been great. I really appreciate your time. And thank you for having me. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for listening to Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. For additional content, please visit CerebralWomen.com and be sure to follow Cerebral Women on Instagram.